I'm Joshua Patterson, and this is Service Please, a podcast where we talk about all things food. And today, we'll be speaking to Natasha Zone, founder of the OneZone app. What's OneZone then? Does your group of friends have that person who knows where the place is to eat, drink, and just where the good vibe is? I'd like to think that I'm that person for a few people. Imagine being that person for 100,000 Londoners. That's Natasha. With the number of downloads of the OneZone app not slowing down either since its launch in early 2021. So what's there to be expected from our conversation? Of course, the idea of how the app was catalyzed. We also get into the nuts and bolts of the OneZone app and the revolutionary user experience. No more WhatsApp groups, Google reviews, or scrolling through Insta. Raising funding for a business in the current climate is no small task, and Natasha raised 1.3 million in seed funding. What does it really take to achieve something like this? Natasha's desire for the OneZone app to empower users to land in any city and know exactly where to go, her insights into the male-dominated world of hospitality and tech, but also the best restaurants in London right now, and who she'd like to take if she could go with anyone. Natasha has also been extremely generous and offered all listeners of the Service Please podcast free premium subscription to the OneZone app for three months. So make sure to listen through to the full episode to understand how to claim it. Let's get to it then. So I think it's great to just say thank you so much for basically spending time with me today for Service Please. Um, it's been a real pleasure and an honour to actually get all of this together and one of the biggest things is I think the product in which you're putting out is fantastic. Thanks. Recommend it to a number of friends. Um, and you even yourself? I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. One of the biggest things yeah. is obviously it's been my life for a long time. Yes, yeah, so I feel it's, like you know everyone. But you don't as well. One of the biggest, I, I was just saying to you, I've not always been as present on social media as I've always wanted to be or yeah. whatever reasons. And you find that actually that's probably the people that are going out and finding these new spots and new gems. If your friends or your circle isn't completely involved within food. Um, so actually it's great to be able just to have a single place in which you don't have to spend hours scrolling on social media or finding the new people that are actually really looking out for it. It's just a really concise way of getting to that point. Um, so yeah, I would really, really love to know just a little bit of your background and the way and the catalyzation for you to get to the point of learning and cutting your teeth basically within obviously this yeah. kind of space. So I, I found this funny because Sophie who works for me must hear me say this like 15 times a day. Um, I was in concierge so I essentially kind of like the quintessentially Velocity Blacks, Amex Insurance of the world, I worked in a very private family office. So we had like 20 international families who were coming over and I essentially sorted out all of their lifestyle travel restaurants knew all of the best places and I became that person like there's one in every friend group that is like where do I go for lunch brunch and dinner which actually I found it annoying because it was always where do I go for lunch around Oxford Circus and at that point I was like either so I'd been headhunted so I went to I was at this family office been headhunted by Velocity Black to be their brand director I didn't think they were doing a great job of what they were doing but that aside um I kind of sat there thinking that concierge wasn't the answer because it's not infinitely scalable. You have so many people relying on you as one person in your relationships. You're doing a lot of effort for not a lot back. And I was like, so that there was one side where I was like, concierge to me isn't really working. The other side was all of my friends want an answer. Either there's an app in the app store that none of us are using, spent some time looking, there was nothing, or there's a real gap in the market to build a platform that we all want to spend time on that isn't. Your TripAdvisor's open tables, bigger platforms that didn't work, and wasn't Instagram because as you said, Instagram's great for inspiration, but it's not great for discovery. It actually was better, and then they rolled back the map, and then it became just a source of inspiration, and saving is difficult. You can't 
search by area and all the other things you can do with OneZoom. So sat there, had the idea in my head, quit my job. Um, and one of my friends said to me, you've got about two, three months worth of savings. Spend your time on it. If you, you've got this great idea, spend some time on it. If it goes nowhere, you just go and get another job. So I was in that phase where I was like, I had earned enough that I could take that risk. And if it worked out, well, here we are. And if it didn't, I would just go and get another job. It didn't matter enough. So I had that kind of flexibility at the time to do it and that. So it wasn't like a random one moment thing. I had enough knowledge and expertise that I'd been doing concierge for a really long time to have the idea and then understood that I had a knack for tech only by doing this. A lot of people say to me, who's designed your app? And it is me. But I, I wasn't in tech. I didn't have any background in it. My background was the hospitality side. And when you say take those few months to spend some time on it. What yeah. was it that you were spending your time on that, at that point? I like, oh, I sat in my bedroom and I have, I have all the notebooks because I was like, I'm going to keep them. And I was like, it was firstly looking into apps and going, how do you make them addictive? That sounds bad. But like, how do you make them interesting? How do you engage your user? What did I, what do all of the best apps have in common? So I sat there pulling out, what do I like about Spotify? What do I like about Uber? Looking at all the designs, like why do these work best? Looking at all the apps that didn't work, because I think there's a lesson in a lot of people come to apps and go, I want to make something that's never been done before. And I looked at it and when I, all of the, I look at it as like all of the best artists copy when all of these massive billion dollar apps work, what are the things that work and let's take them. Not let's reinvent the wheel and have an app that everyone comes into and doesn't get. So I think one of the strong points and people say is they come in and they go, oh, it feels like Instagram. And that was a considered decision going, well, Instagram's the biggest app we all use at that time. So why wouldn't I make it look and feel? and operate in a very similar easy way because they will have done the testing for me. And I'm not looking at it going that no one's built an app before. I'm like, right, well, they've, they'll have done it. They know what works. So therefore I'm gonna look at what they did. Yeah, you are looking for that little bit of addiction. You said it's bad, but actually you want people coming back and feeling yeah. feeling confident and comfortable, but also familiar with something. And I think that's, that's yeah, definitely so that's a really very, strong point. The question was, was, I literally sat my own drawing out those, looking at the apps and creating like decks of all the things that I thought were missing, that were wrong, how I'd put it together, what was missing in the market, looking at all of the products that did exist, so like the TripAdvisor world, pulling that out, and then just draw out the screens, found a web developer in Chelsea who, this is now telling you the story of how I got there, found a web developer in Chelsea who'd never built an app, and I said, do you think you could do it? And he was like, I could try. Spent every, spent like, I don't know, 14 hours a day with him, like redesigning what I wanted it to look like. He built me this like, shitty web app that didn't really work as an app, broke every five minutes, gave it to all of my friends and it suddenly kind of grew very quickly. All of my friends were jumping on it and it really didn't work. And I was like, what is it? I basically spent a load of time making it work, a really, really bad version of what it is now. Put all of my best favorite places in it. I actually curated four cities right at the beginning. I did LA, Lisbon, New York and London for some weird reason. And then said to them, what is it that's keeping you there? And one of my friends, I remember really clearly said, it's faster than Google to find a cool place. And I was like, well, that's interesting because it's not faster than Google. Google's really fast and it's huge. But I was like, what you're telling me is that my curation means it's faster because you're not having to go through all of the crap. So it's the curation that's the USP. And that's essentially why we ended up with a curator discovery platform. And, I, and, and also as well, just to go a little bit of a step back, like yeah. not everyone in this world might be in a fortunate enough position to have a concierge style of service. No. So how in your mind does 
going from what you were doing, transfer, and what does that actually mean as a service to be able to give to an individual going onto the app and stuff like that? So it's actually interesting you say that because, because I thought no one would really understand the word concierge. So firstly, my vision was kind of twofold. Internally to the company, it is not so much disrupting, but we're transforming concierge because in my opinion, it shouldn't just be for wealthy people. It shouldn't be only wealthy people who have access to Amex in this world of concierge, meaning you have people at the end of a phone doing things for you. All I have to do to, to transform that is put all of my knowledge into an app and give it to everyone, either for free or at an accessible price. Like the products we use now, like Netflix, Spotify, they're all subscription-based. It shouldn't be limited to the wealthy. And then, so internally, that most people know that's kind of what I want to do, is just essentially democratise concierge. But actually, to the outside consumer, it's, I need to find a restaurant really quickly, like a great restaurant. So in the same way, I think I read about Uber actually did something similar. They, Uber were like, we're going to disrupt, you know, we're going to give everyone a personal chauffeur. But to me, Uber, if I didn't know what a chauffeur was, it's I can just get a taxi really easily. And in the same way, I'm like, we don't use the word concierge that much because I don't think it means anything to a lot of people. But internally, because of my background, that's where it's come from. I think that's really, really nice. And I think also, like you were saying as well, the chauffeur of the Uber kind of situation, but it's just a taxi, and I think yeah. really, really fascinating. Yeah, it's just interesting to hear it because I haven't talked about it for a while. That, that's just because you feel everyone is knowing what's going on internally and things like that, like actually speaking about it to an external kind of body or thinking yeah, about it in a different way. asking questions. I think a lot of people ask me very obvious questions, whereas, because I think you know a bit about it already, mm. you're asking me questions that I don't, haven't, either haven't talked about, haven't thought about for a while, or don't normally get asked. Mm. Normally it's like, what's the difference between you and open table? Which I know is probably coming, but like... It's not. Okay. So <laughs> 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 like, like it in there? You can if you want. I'll just be like, sure, let's answer that. So yeah, it'd be fascinating to actually know from your point of view, like, if, if, if I hadn't heard about what one, one zone is, in, in your mind's eye, like, what actually is it in the service in which you are providing to that person coming onto your platform at that, moment, at that moment in time? Or what would you like to believe that they're going to get from that experience? So there's, there's the official vision and mission line, which I'd say. So the vision is, guys, we were talking about earlier, actually. The vision is, we want to empower everyone. What well, I do. I want to empower everyone to be able to land in any city and know exactly where to go. That's like my, my line to myself, which to go then evolves down into eat, drink and stay. Um, it came from the fact that I opened, I opened Uber in Barcelona once and it wasn't working and I was like, oh, this is so annoying. Like, I think they use Get Taxi. I want that feeling for everyone that we're actually building now where people who love it in London want it in other cities. I want someone going to New York landing being like, why hasn't one zone opened that city yet? Because it makes my life so much easier. So for me, I want, I built it on three things. I wanted a curated platform, so that, which essentially means you can trust it. I wanted a platform that you could go to and know every experience you're gonna get is gonna be perfect, like amazing for what that is. Great food, great vibe, great service. Whether that's a fast casual pizza pilgrims type for relating it to London places or like your Zuma Nobu. It's not, it's about best in class across price point, but you trust you're gonna have a great experience for what it is. That's like core USP one zone is that trust, that experience, that platform, is that it's curated, we've done the work for you. And, you. and you kind of see that, I think. That's what most people feel about it. The second thing was convenience. I've just got to a point in the industry where I was like, why is it so disconnected? We should have booking, menus, great photos, saving places, sharing with your friends, messaging, all in one simple app. Like, it shouldn't be this, like, 
Google, then WhatsApp your friends, someone sending you an Excel spreadsheet, like that, it's just so backwards and antiquated and it just doesn't make sense. And then the third thing for me, and I, th I hope users feel this when they come in, is that diversity is really important. I think we're in a day and age where the trip advisors of the world either didn't have to think about it or tap into it. And we highlight prominently female founded businesses, sustainable businesses, black owned businesses, community heroes. I think there are conversations happening for our generation that whether I do it right or wrong, I don't know, but at least I'm trying and we're massively tapping into that. And I think the response we've had from our generation, our users has been really positive. And I think that also slightly sets us apart because it just hasn't been done before. As I said, I might not always do it right, but I, I don't think we can ignore it either. So. Yeah, I think wherever we look now, the conversation, and I think a lot of people are being educated daily mm. in basically how to approach the world, how to have particular conversations with other individuals, and also to be as inclusive as possible. And I think sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, it feels maybe when you go outside of London, you're going against the grain, but it, for some reason, still continues to feel the right conversation in which being being yeah. had. Yeah, and I'm like quite open and honest with that, even with my team. Like, there are concepts in this industry, like boys' night and girls' night, and we were discussing this today, going 90% of our consumer base will look for that. But actually, is it right? Is it inclusive? I don't know. I actually don't have the answer, but it's conversations that we can't ignore. And I think as a platform, we're trying to be aware of that. So I don't know, the reason I'm like quite open with it, because I'm like, I actually actively engage with you to be like, what do you think where we should take this to? Because it it's a challenge that we're all going to face. So I think by at least trying, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think when people come into the app, that's, I hope they feel, which I think they do, it's like, it's a very beautifully designed platform. It has a lot of effort and curation in it. The photography is all taken by us. The tech, everything has been thought out and considered. And we listen to our users a lot. And yeah, well, yes and no to both. As in, we listen to our users, but I also go, okay, well, they don't know what they want. So it goes both sides. But I, I think that's what is attracting users to the platform because hopefully all of what I've just said comes through. And I think also I'm sure you would listen to users if tens of thousands were saying the same thing and they yeah, were yeah. utilising it and using it but I understand what you mean. There's it's also like... a level of you can't listen to every person who thinks they want something yeah. but I've done that before and I put it in and everyone's like no nah, I didn't really want it and I'm like I know. <laughs> like what you think you want doesn't, isn't always what you want from a platform. But I think being a founder in a business actually that's actually one of the journeys in which you have to go on actually understanding that you you know, for me, it was actually a relation with food. So we would put a menu on the item and it would be an yeah. uh, item on the menu and it would be spicy and then someone would be like, it's too spicy and then you dial it down and it's like, it's actually, like you then also isolate and back someone off yeah. that actually was continually coming back. So it's like, you know, it's always, it's, it's that learning process and, you know, having those missions and understanding what it is that you are trying to do actually is then always the thread that takes you, takes you to that place, I think, sometimes. Yeah, and also setting goals around that, like, at the moment is our goal is like is it growth what's the fastest thing that's going to get us to x is it about the curation is it about the tech because i think there's always things that if you just have to prioritize in yourself and my roadmap is a mile long so when someone says you know i want this feature it's both probably been thought about it's in there it's just we've literally got a roadmap that's a year long and we've got to prioritize what makes sense for the business first and why are you making it a business most importantly yeah yeah completely just like the idea in natasha's head that people really like <laughs> We've progressed from that, which is great. So obviously, like, you know, one of the things is, which is extremely, like, I'm sure you're very, very proud of that and hopefully can look back and celebrate it, is the incredible seed funding which you were able to achieve in that mm. period of time. Like, that was a huge amount of money to be able to get. 
And I was just intrigued to know, like, when you talk about your roadmap, do you talk about the kind of like levels of where that's going to take you, what it's going to be, what the next phase is, and where you where you you know, or is it like the year and just get these? No, I think. Well, I think when you're fundraising, I think you always have to have a plan because I don't think people invest in you otherwise. So I, I think there's a level of, do they invest in you as, one, do they like your idea? So that's a tick. It's do they, especially at an early stage, we're at seed stage now. So at this point, it's do people believe in me to pull it off? Like I had a friend of mine that sat with me in an office every single day, and maybe it was after like six months, was like, I'm investing in this business purely because I watch you and you will not give up. And you're so relentless in what you do and you care so much that you'll drive it to where it needs to be. And I think there's a lot of my investors who've invested because of me. Testament. <laughs> it's actually quite nice to hear, but then I also think it's, you know, do you have a plan? Is it solid? Do you, do you make sense? You know, there's also a lot of smart investors who are gonna sit there and pull apart my cash flow and be like, what are your projections? Where do you want to be? Do they believe in that roadmap? Do they believe in the people who are gonna get it there? And I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think it all, I think I've just learned so much as doing a startup. I mean, even what we're like, a year and a half post-official launch, maybe two and a half years since the original idea. And I think I've learned more in the last six months than I did right at the beginning, because post-seed round, it, it's the funding, the team that you build, the plans and where you're going, everything changes all the time. And navigating all of that at the same time, I think is so challenging. But I think at any point you could walk away and have learned more than you ever would if you've never done the startup. Completely, and I think that's what, um, is the most beautiful thing about it. It is really just like an exponential curve of just learning constantly mm. and you can never be in that situation unless you're in that particular moment and stuff like that. And also when yeah. you care so much about it as well, you want to be understanding each little intricacy that's going on and be so granular with everything. And I think that's yeah. so fascinating, but also I'm sure it's probably quite exhausting at times as well. Yeah, I think I'm learning to step back. I think my team would laugh if they said that, if I said it and they hear this, but Delegating, it, it has been really tricky. I, yeah, but I think, luckily I've built actually a core team who I would say maybe don't care at the level I do, but are pretty much almost there. Because I've had a lot of people join in looking at this going, this could change my life and I'm here for this reason. If they wanted to go and get the massive salaries, they could be anywhere. I have a really strong team that I think will be here to the end, which is kind of an amazing moment for me. Um, I hope they are. Because I believe in them that much as well. <laughs> And out, I watch this and see that. It's really, really cool. And out of interest in your mind, you, you, you use the word end. I'd be intrigued to know, yeah, like, do you, do you have an idea of an, what the idea of an end would look like for you at this moment? Yeah, the end, I, I used to say I'd want to run it for like, I mean, I don't, I think there's two options. There's, there's the continuing to run. I look at like Zuckerberg, who's still at Facebook, but then have a really great friend of mine who's just exited his business for a lot. And that's an amazing moment. And I think you don't know what's going to come your way. I think either... For me, I, I really think it would be an exit. I, I just think that's how it will work. And I think I'd have taken a lot out of this and applied it to a second one. I don't see this as my only startup. But you, you don't really know. I, I always think you don't know where this journey's gonna take you. You don't know at what point it's gonna end. So I don't know what that end is. I just aim as high as possible because I go, well then at least you've tried. I think for, for me, it's actually been quite fascinating. So. I started out just having like food kiosk models and yeah. all over the city and I can remember being so young, I started it when I was like 23 and being mm. like, I'm just always gonna run my own business, I would never give anything away to anyone, I always wanna be on top of it. And like the pandemic just completely devastated everything. Like yeah. I went from having like 30 employees to basically like four and it all fell apart. 
And this is part of this journey for me. Yes. It's now learning about actually what's the next stage. And I've got now on the table as co-founder. And, you know, we're looking to now do seed funding and things like that. And actually, mm. there's something really beautiful to be able to, one, be like, let's build something. Let's create something that people want. And also, I was only having this conversation with someone the other day. It's like, I would love to be able to have five lives in my whole entire existence, right? And it's like, maybe create something, spend 10 mm. years doing it, leave, and then utilize all of those skills in which I've been able to hone. And then maybe be in a position in which you can actually catalyze and help someone else on their journey and continuing to be that kind of figure. And I think that would actually be, everyone always talks about helping others, right? Being in a position to be able to actually give yeah. something back to the world. And I think that would be a position which would be quite cool, I think. Yeah, there's a psychological theory about this that you can move through different levels and getting to philanthropy is like green. Um, but the one below that is orange, which is entrepreneurial. And some people never get into that, but essentially the bottom of orange is like, I want to build something. And the top of orange is, I've done it, I've built the company, I've had the yachts, and it's not fulfilling me enough, so I want to go and give back. But I think it's quite hard. I think until you can get rid of your own worries about finance and everything else, it's very hard to just go and give back because it's kind of looking after you. My, my boyfriend's very philanthropic and we have this conversation quite a lot that, not that I'm very focused on me, but I'm very like, until I stop worrying, it's very hard to then look at it the other side and try and do both. Um, but I think I would love to get to a point where we've done it and then I, my, my end goal post, let's say I sell and exit is to set up my own fund and then go and invest in other young entrepreneurs and ideally take my team of advisors and team that I've built along with me to be their advisors, to give them their knowledge in their respective fields. Because as much as I may have founded this, it's the people around me who I think make it, who have their specialisms in like tech, marketing, brand, wherever that finance. And I think that team then creates that success. So that's what I'd like to give to other people. And do you think that that is one of the things in which inspires you actually to make sure that what you are creating in one's own at this moment in time is going to be able to fulfill those kind of things? No, I, I think I look at this and go, someone's going to do this. I don't think that in 10 years, when you say, where should I go for eat, to eat in Lisbon? Someone's going to go, oh, I'll send you my... And they might send me your notes, but like realistically, they should be like, go on my profile, or I'll send you my profile, and it sends it all digitally, and you've got the menus, the pictures. Like it's, That's where I actually... Not only do I love this industry and I was in it, but I massively see the potential of where it's going to go. That there's just... It's ripe for this platform to exist. And that, that's... It's not just me, obviously there's different like people doing this, different versions of it. I may be the furthest ahead in London right now, but there have been precursors, there will, there'll probably be people after me that suddenly go, well, we can make it better. So that, that's I think the thing that keeps me going the most is that someone's going to do this. And especially if you've broken down the door, right? Yeah, we're a bit, we're ish, ish. I say that, like every time I do something I'm like, wow, there's like 10 years ahead of me to go. And that's the other thing, I don't put a timeline on it because it could be three, five, seven years. Like I, I made like a commitment to myself years ago because I think I read the McDonald's guy story that he went and became a success at like 60. And I was like, how committed am I to this journey? And then I was like, if this takes me till I'm like 40, 60, there is no end age at which I would stop doing this until like it stops for me. Yeah. So I was like, that's kind of the commitment. I think your main target audience are, you know, your Gen Zs and your millennials. And I think millennials, somewhat so but I think Gen Z actually for them when you have any conversations and understand it it is about that idea of trust about openness um, and just transparency and I'd be intrigued to know how one's own is able to basically maybe like 
it's clear that obviously when I look at look at it from the creation of the lifestyle and the editorial elements through the photography and the UX experience it's so seamless and being able to have that conversation with people it's clear that that's who you're marketing but is obviously how do you live to maybe the values in which they're experiencing in this day and age and things like that do you think? I think you have to know your audience. I think our audience is still core millennial because they have the disposable income to go out. I think as much as you can look at the Gen Z market. Um, depends where you class Gen Z, that's also the problem. Like in my head, Gen Z is 17, 18, and right now, they're probably just before uni. They don't, like, they might get inspired by, like, I don't know, some, like, really cool Instagrammable stuff on TikTok now, like, cool pasta. And, like, the big mama group does that really well. But I would say, our audience is a slightly older market now. I think even when I went into it, I'm like millennial. And actually 25 to 35, 35 to 45 is our core market. Because they've got money, they've been working. You know, it, restaurants are expensive, prices are going up. So I don't, as much as I think the brand will attract Gen Z and it makes sense as a platform and they get the platform and the tech quicker, mm. I think the core audience in terms of the usage is actually older because you need money to go out to most of these restaurants. So it's a bit of both. And then I think, it's the, I think the editorial language, as we said earlier, about those conversations um, around diversity, that taps into Gen Z a lot more. And I think that's where that lends itself to. But I think in terms of the usage, it's that, that audience will have to mature to be able to use it properly. Mm. The same with travel, like we launch more cities, but realistically, are your Gen Z, unless you're like a very large influencer, are you going to those cities? No, but are all of my friends probably doing weekend breaks throughout the summer? Yes, so they use it all the time. And again, that's disposable income. So I think that's... I think sometimes as these companies and platforms, it's, it's so easy to try and want to be everything to everyone all the time. And I'm very clear about being razor sharp focused on many things so that we can achieve something. I think if you try and do everything, you're not going to achieve anything. So like, for example, as much as we have like a bit of a TikTok we're growing it slowly, like our core audience is still Instagram, we've done it well and we're still growing it, I'm not ignoring it, but I'm also not gonna try and distract everything we've done to go and just go after a new platform. Completely, and I think from what I've heard, it's always very important to build up one and then you know take them across and things like that in that kind of respect as well when it comes to social media platforms. I think it's sense. just learning, like I don't think you can do everything well, like I also think it's not like, I think you've got to find, one of my friends gave me some advice. She was like, find someone who loves TikTok and wants to be on it because they'll, they'll, do, better, they'll do a better job because they love it. She was like, you don't love it. So how are you ever going to do it that well? Like I have my own torturous relationship with Instagram. I barely do that well. Because I, I, I like, I don't know, the reason sometimes why I love OneZone is we've built a platform that is not about social competition and you can't really compete. Apart from like, have you been to more places than I have? Which actually is quite fun. It's not showing off, it's not false, there's no false reality that you're entering into. Anyone can book these restaurants, anyone can go wherever you want. And I, that, it's just a really nice platform and I think it's quite a safe space away from all of that social world. And we spoke a little bit about obviously disposable income and maybe it's yeah. an older generation and stuff like that, but as potentially the Gen Zs and, and, and other people become maybe a little bit more financially free yeah. or have that disposable income or even what would be even beautiful, it's like they use the one owns app as that special occasion and they yeah, choose. Yeah, exactly. How is it that you're able to maintain that level of confidence within the people that are on the app as in the restaurants and the bars and things like that? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, so we curate everything ourselves. I mean, I think, uh, I think that quality and value is just hyper important. We, everyone always asks me how we do it. 
it's a bit of it's a bit of like unique one's ownness. So one of my lessons once said, how are you going to curate on a mass scale? Because you need AU to understand what the one's own curation is. And I luckily now have an amazing head of curation who gets it and is now teaching her team of curators. There's, there's kind of a two throw thing here. The reason I built it in that I thought you should have an app that you would open and all of the values in there. We've done that hard work for you. Now I look a lot of, at a lot of the apps that have come out in this space and a lot of them try to be social apps. I think maybe to be the next Instagram, I don't know. But they're like, and I get why, because you would ask your friends for recommendations. They're like, all of your friends can put all your places. Now my view is that everyone is busy, no one has time. If I said to you put all of your 50 best places on their app, you'd be like, oh, I just can't be bothered. Like people don't do that. So I was like, that's, n to me, I don't know how that's ever gonna take off because the reason one zone is works is because it is our jobs to do that 24 seven. So that value is in there. And we are constantly maintaining that curation, whether that's being out on the streets all of the time, looking at, and we've built relationships where users will send places in all the time. And again, like let's say a hundred out of, oh, that's a bad example. Like, okay, say a hundred out of a thousand come in it would flag, so we're like, okay, cool, enough, it's coming in enough times for it to be useful. We might have, I might have friends who I, I know have, have a one zone style taste, so I will listen to them. We know a lot of the restaurant PRs, you know, my business partner's the biggest food influencer in London, so it all adds together to aid this curation, and it is ever evolving, that we do take places off, we do add places, but it is, that's the core part. If, if that curation goes, then we, we don't have a value, because I think that's our value proposition. So... Yeah, it's a very hard question to answer, which is funny because it is the USP of the business. But that came down to essentially my curation at the beginning, which is now wider. And it's not Natasha Zone's Bible to the world. I didn't want it to be that. The reason, it has my name in it, but I don't do this that often because I wanted the app to stand for itself. I didn't want it to be known as Natasha Zone because then it comes down to one person and it shouldn't be that. I say, because I tried one day and the reason we got to great food, great vibe, great service is because those are three core things that I think matter to a great experience. I mean, it also went to looking at, look, we're an experienced generation. Yes, we have fine dining places on there, but I feel like Michelin was an older generation. It responds differently. To, I, I feel like One Zone can be the next Michelin in terms of what that brand stands for to the next generation. We don't, we, we might not be going for fine dining dinners all the time or white tablecloths. We're eating out more. There's a lot more fast casual. It's a lot more real time. It's very, very hard to explain sometimes and pin down the power of one zone, I think. Um, it's kind of a, a, like, I would say a summary of everything I've said pulled together. For me, it's, it's been a real liberating experience actually discovering your app because mm. a lot of the time people would come to me and be like, Josh, I've got this and I'm going out here or I'm thinking about this, where to go? Um, I now send them to you and it's categorised in such a fantastic and orderly manner and yeah. you know even like you said it's like you know male or even female evening and things like that if it's a problem of contention or if it's not it still actually does actually work for some people but yeah. I would be really fascinated to know in, in, in your mind when you look at a city how large can the curation be or you know is it is, is there a moment when you're just like, actually, this is what the best of this city has to give and I'm not going to actually lower the standards of where we want people to experience a, 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 
you know, a weekend away or a night out or those kind of things. Yeah, I think there's two things in there. One is that what I love about the app and what we built is the many ways you can discover. I think when someone says to you, where should I go for my birthday? What they don't realise is the pressure on that person. Firstly, is it's not a simple question. It's, well, where are you going? How much do you want to spend? What's the vibe that you want? How many people are going? Do you have cuisine preferences, dietaries? Like it's so, there are so many more levels to that, that I think that's why people send people to the app because you can search by area, search by cuisine, search by any tag filter by price, I think once you've taken it down to those levels, what I love is when someone will come to me and say, I've used your app, I'm deciding between BB and Jim Connor. And at that point, I'm like, wow, you really have no way you want. And at this point, it's just an expert advice because I've probably been to both. And that, great, love it. What I, what I really dislike is when someone says, where should I go for my anniversary? Because to me, I'd be like, the first thing I would do, even them, I'll sit there and go, I'll type an anniversary or I'll be like, where do you want to go? Area Mayfair. I'll do it myself while they're there. I'll be like, Mayfair one zone. I don't, you know, it's that the journey is there for you as a user. It's just not being lazy. Pick it up and do it. Yeah. And then if you need that extra bit of help, that's where I think I can understand, like, I, my knowledge will surpass most people's in terms of London. I think the other side of that in terms of cities, we've kind of answered that for, in our, for ourselves at the moment um, in the sense that, firstly, we built London to be our HQ hubs where we started. So it's like 1,700 places strong at the moment. And we don't limit it, we don't stop it because I think it is evolving. Places will come off, places will close. So there's no set number. But I won't add places for the sake of it. You can't pay to be on it, none of that. It is selected purely on what we think works and, and where, is it good enough. And then the other cities, so at the moment, we've built the app for it to be our London user base going to Europe. So it's their essentials. So we capped it ourselves at, say, the top 150, potentially, that we could do that we thought. The reason being is if you're a user and you're going for a weekend break to Paris, you don't need 150 places. You need 10. So we're like, let's go above and beyond. Let's curate the top 150. And then we found that it was a bit too high for Lisbon, Berlin. I think Berlin's like 78. And it varies, but we did cap ourselves because, one, for the user, it's overwhelming. But two we're not targeting Parisians living in Paris yet who would expect more. So in that sense, it's been a bit of an easier route to scale. And then if we did the US, it would actually operate differently again. Like New York is a, another London, it would probably be 3000 places plus. And again, we would operate New York as the hub and then you would do LA, San Francisco, Miami for the New York user. You're building it for continents. We're not building it that every place has to be a London. So that kind of answered it itself in terms of how I positioned the business. Um, but yeah, there is, I don't think it should ever really be capped. I think it never really could be. I just think our quality control is really important. It's also why I will allow user submissions. I think it's so interesting and I think it's so helpful. We can't be everywhere at all times to have users submit their places and it shows how much they love the app. But at the same time, if I allowed users to add all their own places, the quality control would disappear because you will get someone who just adds McDonald's. Like, or like who adds, I don't know, God knows what elsewhere, or like messes it up. And actually, it's not just about the places, it's about the opening hours, the booking links, the menu links, and even we struggle to stay on top of that. But if we allow everyone else to do it, it's just a mess in terms of a platform. Then if you allow everything, we're well, back to Google. And then obviously you've hinted that there is that expansion going into yeah. other European cities and things like that, and from obviously the London-based user. And I'm correct in saying that you are now moving into a paid-by service, so instead of just mm -hmm. a free app for London, obviously yeah. you can go. So run me through just how that go goes about and stuff like that, really. Slightly contentious, because it doesn't really make sense that London is free. It does at the moment, because London's our use basis, where we're growing, and I built it for Londoners. And we want that growth here. So London is free. 
we then the reason why it's funny is because if it doesn't really make sense if you're in Paris you have to pay for Paris but not London but because of our model it does make more sense we're only targeting marketing in London right now so as a Londoner though if you do want to go away so at the I mean we're scaling up so we've got Paris Lisbon Berlin now Barcelona Amsterdam probably Rome by the end of the year you basically pay for premium so it's an annual or monthly subscription in your normal way that we're all used to and you're paying to access those cities and for perks that we've built out across London as well and soon to be our restaurant launches so we partner with a lot of restaurants to launch them exclusively to our user base because they've been so popular we're also going to move that into premium so our premium members will get 24 hour access um, it's been pretty successful we're actually over I set a target for when we released it we released it in July um, I think we're now over 400 subscribers, which was more than I thought. Um, and we haven't had one day without a premium subscriber yet since we launched it. So like this weekend we had 10 premium subscribers and then, but every single day there's been at least one, which is powerful because it's, it's a model that I needed to prove to myself in that I set out to investors that I thought we're a subscription generation. It's never been done before. And that's how I see it working is this model. So it's a bit of a proof to myself and we had to prove, is it going to work or not? And so far, so good. It is, it is working. And now it's how many cities can we get up? Because the perks are great. It is really cool that you can go into 60 of the best restaurants in London and get a complimentary side dish, cocktail, dessert. And again, it's very one zone in that I said to those brands, I want that perk to be unique to you. It shouldn't just be a glass of champagne. It should be something relevant to your brand that is unique, that's exciting to come in. Um, and I've used them multiple times and it is really fun. But I think the draw... A lot of people do love that because I think one of my friends was like, all of the perks are over £4, so if I have one a month, I've got my money back. And most of them are like a cocktail, so it's £18 back immediately. But I think a lot of the draw is those new cities. If you're going to Paris and you land tomorrow, what on earth are you going? And this is like your answer. And I'd be intrigued, you might not, you might not know yet, is actually the journey of getting people from that unpaid service than to getting them on like yeah I, we don't know that hook you know when linkedin said i think it was like if you followed five friends you would suddenly be like a linkedin person no idea where we only launched it a month and a half ago and we're not at that data level where we can tell that um that is like my next part is are they is it that you're traveling is it that you've used it four times and you love it we don't know quite yet what that sticking point is yeah hopefully one day it will be really useful to know um, and also, I didn't think that it sounded completely and utterly crazy that yeah. it's free in London and stuff like that. Okay. I guess, it, no, I think, I think it makes complete and utter sense. It, it we've does, got, it does. hear it from me, but I can understand that if you're in another city and you're like, why is London free? It, it makes sense when you know it from me and you know it as a London company. But I think if you're downloading it in Lisbon, it's a bit like... But you, realistically, I don't think you should be. We're not targeting no. any of those cities. Our marketing is all London. So... I, would, I assume that most people who are downloading it for Lisbon as a Londoner going there. Mm. And I'm sure there will be a way in the future, or if there is now, to like almost like understand someone's proxy, so yeah, someone's yeah, initial exactly. location. So, so yeah, exactly. So it's like if your home city is Paris, and then you're coming to London, you're paying for the ability to have London exactly. and vice versa. And I mean, it would like either that. be that, or it'll get to a point where look, the whole app could be paid for. We don't. I don't know what that really looks like. This year was for me was about. Year one, and I think this comes back to like knowing your fundraisers, year one was, do we have product market fit? We grew it in six months to 50,000 downloads, and it was like 30,000 monthly active subscribers, at which point I raised my funding round because we hit our targets so quickly. And now for me, this year was about looking at monetization, looking at it as a business, like taking it from that idea, that concept, and going, right, how is this going to work as a business? And like, 
how does it make money? That is like a, I think once you de-glamorize all of the startup world, that's what investors it comes down to is like, how are you making money? Is this going to work or not? And that when they say, is it going to work? It's, is it going to make money? Because otherwise it's just a nice idea and not a business. And you're in a tougher crowd, anyone watching this who's in Europe, because American investors look at growth in a very different way to Europe. In Europe, it is about how quickly you're going to make revenue. And in America, it's get hundreds of thousands of users and at some point it will turn into revenue. Mm. And I think in this landscape over in Europe, it's much harder. And the pressure is on to make money, from my experience. Yeah, I can imagine very quickly. Mm. It sounds like you're on the right trajectory, though. Yeah, I, th I mean, you'd hope so. But again, like, you know, when you're looking at VC-level businesses and fundraisers, you need to be 10x. You know, they, they need mm. to see a story that is going to return 100x of their money, and that's it's a challenge. So it might be like, yeah, it's nice, but it's like, is it going to work at mass scale? But yes, that, that's the aim. <laughs> Time will tell. Yeah, but... it, it is working so far. I can't. No, I can't complain. We work very hard to get it to where we want it to be. You're solving a problem, and I think that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of people, um, and even some businesses, are able to operate and actually turn a profit. But I think when you're looking at the kind of size and the ambition mm. in which you want to achieve, it's mm. actually being a complete and utter disruptor to all of the other things, or completely innovating to things that are already available. Yeah. Um, and it does feel that what is happening at this moment in time within the OneZone app is something in which like, someone will go on and be like, this is completely different and easier than anything I've ever had mm. to use before. I trust it because I, I do so. recognise the restaurants and things like that, so why would I not continue to use it? It's interesting, what you've just said is exactly what happens. Because see, people say to me, why should I trust it? And I'm like, it's, I don't answer that question. People answer for them because they'll go on and they'll see places they've been to and go, oh, okay, and they answer it for themselves. So it's actually better when people don't ask me because it doesn't really work like that. I, I also set out when I first started this, I was like, it needs to organically if, if I haven't solved a problem people won't tell their friends about it so I was like I, we spent 10 grand on marketing last year like zero it was nothing and we hit 100,000 downloads with that amount of money which is kind of abnormal and that was purely word of mouth and that to me was the answer I'm like then something's working because you, if you're telling your friends that's the virality you need because otherwise there's no amount of marketing and money if, if people don't like your product mm. it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it it's not going to work and also, it's really, really fascinating because obviously you entered the market at a point when ISO 14 was changing and I think yeah, all of those kind of things. Yeah. So it's absolutely fascinating and incredible that, that you've been... Yeah, and I think everyone, there's a lot of people within your space that are continuing to struggling to mm. reposition their marketing actual angle. And there's also a lot of people that have made their living and career understanding how to be able to, you know, hack the matrix. And now they're not really able to hack it. So it's quite fascinating, really. For me, which is really quite an interesting point is, you know, I was sort of saying to you a little bit before, I was raised by my mum, so I've always had just this powerful female figure in my life and always thought that that's how the world operated. But then, you know, as you get a little bit more experience and especially working within hospitality, you realise that it's quite a male-driven experience. And then also, I don't have a tech background, but from my understanding, it's also like, you know, the tech bro kind of vibe and things like that. Mm. So I'm quite intrigued to know, how do you feel that for you, since you've entered it, is there a different approach Do you, yeah, I'd be really intrigued to know how to navigate that space as a female, really. I feel like I should be a PR trained to answer this better, but um, I'm a pretty honest person. I think, I think there's so much more to go. Like, I think, I know most of the female founders I know, and that's very few, are in fashion. I haven't met one person in, I met one girl way back actually in tech, but other than that, no. Most of, all of my investors bar one are male and I have like 50. 
So it's a very, very male-dominated space. And I think the one thing I've seen is I have some, I have some amazing investors who, where, where, when they talk, I'm like, this is where the world needs to go. So uh, Lord Wahid Ali is a, is, was the former chairman of ASOS, an investor of mine. And he invests in companies with 50% of the board has to be female, 50% of the teams have to be female. And he champions diversity so strongly that I'm like, we need more people like you. So I don't think it's like we just shouldn't have male investors, but I think it's an opening and an understanding of those investors to be really aware of the problem. Um, and I have sat in boardrooms, like, I, I think every woman probably has their own Me Too stories, but, like, you know, I've sat in boardrooms where it's all guys and it you feel a bit, not intimidated, uncomfortable. I think it's very much an older generational thing, so I think the problem with being a founder in this age is you're still most of your investors are going to be the generation above. I think the next generation below us will have a much better time because I think our generation is so aware and you can see all of the changes via the Gen Z demographic and generation, but I think we're kind of stuck in the middle between a very old generation who don't get it and a very young generation who do, trying to be the leaders for that next generation, but actually stuck under the people who don't get it. That's how I feel constantly, I think. Um, which is why I'm also so kind of adamant as much as sometimes like things like this might make me uncomfortable I'm like I need to portray that for the next generation to other young women to be like it is completely possible to do it and I'm a rare person that does it it's why like the phrases girl boss really like cringe me out then I also get why people say it because I'm like it's quite rare when do you ever hear a guy turn to another guy and be like you're such a male boss but I'm like that just shows the like disparity and how little how, how fewer women there are who get like the fact that that's a term so yeah in answer to that question I I think there's major major changes to be done I don't think it's solved at all but there are some great people in it so yeah and one of the biggest things is that generational divide and it's sort of like you know we are sort of that last generation as well that had the non-full digital life of like yeah. your phone, everything like that, and actually have quite good communicative yeah. skills, basically person to person when you yeah. meet someone. Like we've met for the first time, here we are having a great conversation, I would like yeah. to think. And then basically, yeah. you know, you have other people when you, you look at the Gen Zs, when they actually have, you, they would consider their very best friend in which they know more than anything is someone that they've only ever met online and things like that. So it's a really fascinating kind of thing. Um, but the main thing in which I was thinking when you were saying that is, yeah. you know, even when you're talking about the growth of wanting to be on, being on camera and all of those kind of things, it's like you, ha you have to show people that you crawl so that they can walk. You know what I mean? You have to take yeah. them on that journey and basically, like you said, put yourself into uncomfortable situations and actually yeah. so that the other people won't have to hopefully be in those same predicaments. I hope so. I think, yeah, I mean... I hope then the next round we have more female investors. It's, it's just hard to find. Like, it's not like you sit there not trying to find it. I'm just like... I think also because most women, I would say, in this generation is still trying to make it for themselves. It's quite hard to be that collaborative because everyone's kind of fighting to still do it. Mm. Whereas I'm, I think the next generation, I just think it's going to be so different that it'll be really interesting. Like, I had a chat with the family office the other day who were looking at one zone and they brought in a load of Gen Z employees to find businesses for them to invest in because they just don't have that connection anymore. They don't get it. So the interesting conversation came about with men's skincare. And I think the older guys in the family office were like, why would we invest in this? No guys like look after their skin. It's embarrassing and cringe. Like you're a guy. And I was like, that is so out of date. And that this Gen Z guy was on the phone to me saying, all of my friends and I use 
male skincare, like we have regimes, we moisturise, and it, it's not cringe, it's not embarrassing, it's a part of our lifestyle, and that just shows how much has changed and how little everyone is in touch generationally. Yeah, completely. Got off on a tangent completely, no. but it's not one thing related. No, no. And, but also I can sort of relate to what you were saying a little bit with, you know, your friend, which I think was really poignant. It's like, if you don't like TikTok, get someone that fucking loves it mm. and they will just completely like innovate yeah. for you. And even you're saying, you know, the family office, it's actually still very insightful for them to actually identify like, look, we, yeah. we're all guard now. Like, let, let the innovators and let the new generations be able to actually lead the way for us. And I think hopefully the more of that kind of energy, I think actually hopefully we will be able to tip the needle in, in, in a way that might actually be something of... of, of um, I mean, it's kind of what you said. You came into that. You were like, oh, I came into the app. I got it. Like, it made my life easier. I've had older people go, oh, I use OpenTable. Why would I use it? And I'm like, Ugh, that just makes no sense to me. And they're like, I don't get, no one will pay for a subscription model. I'm like, okay. Like, you, sometimes you live in this world and you're like, what world are you living in that, like, all of us have, like, every single app is a subscription and it's, you just don't even think about it. Yeah. So it's a really interesting, like, jump. But that's, a, I think, again, like, it shows even, like, with the one zone conversations where I'm just like, so far from where we are yeah yeah completely i think they're going to be in for a rude awakening when they start playing subscription for their cars and stuff like that and it completely yeah, i thought you were going to say when they watch this or so <laughs> <laughs> so um final. Final, yeah the, fi the final thing which i always find really fascinating to understand where people's heads are at and within london and also I, I, probably one of the best people to ask um where would be your favorite place in london to go for food um and for people to be able to see, and is it something that's not on the app, which would be quite, is it like a no. hidden place for you? You're like, right, this is I my secret spot and I'm not gonna give it to people. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, our top 10 is always, to be honest, where we think is the best. Like, I think it's, it's because I'm in it and because I try amazing places, it's actually always quite relevant in real time. So like right now, they're always the ones that jump to my head, like Firebird and Soho. I'm, Female, it sounds like I'm banging on about females, but it just happens. They're like these two amazing women from Russia who come over and set up just the most beautiful, like it's just a beautiful restaurant so with like an open kitchen that all of the dishes were amazing and it, it's just constantly stood out to me recently as a premium member you can also get a perk um it's a glass of natural wine but that that's great i mean bubbler the new soho site again there's been an influx into soho unreal unreal so if you love that unreal try fire, but just, just unreal blown away um <laughs> decimo at the standards always one of my favorites i mean extortionately expensive but like stunning i mean stunning setting amazing food and think what else I it's good vibes love. yeah it's great vibes Bruto and Bruto is amazing like I think Russell Norman has just brought Florence to London oh, and yeah. delivered it so brilliantly and I just love him I love what he's done um, he then I then went to Florence off of his recommendations and can see the dishes that inspired him and that was really cool to see yeah. um, were, I think they're all in the top four yeah. Baron Jack is loved by everyone that's just my top ten right now yeah. but then I go on my favourites but those, those are the ones that stand out to me right now. My friend Tim also has got a great restaurant called Kaya in Notting Hill that's winning like rave reviews left, right and centre. I actually haven't been there yet. <laughs> but um, <laughs> apparently amazing. And my brother went and out, literally goes back every week. So those are my favourites. Yeah. But it, it, it moves and changes yeah. because we see all of the new stuff. Um, but that right now is probably my top. Yeah. Have you been? Yeah, oh, I went divine. actually. Did you have the Dobles? Yeah, I did have the, the Dobles. Dobles. They're fantastic. All the team had just come back from Florence. It was really great. Oh. And they were all really inspired. Russell was actually sitting next to us. 
Amazing. And he was just there at the bar, just chilling and just overseeing yeah. everything. And, and I, I love that. I love that he's there every day. I yeah. love, like, to me, I'm like, no wonder your restaurant is, is doing well because you are on the floor overseeing it. And I've seen that Firebird, Cricket, they're yeah. always there. Yeah. And they, they also know people when they walk in. I think that, that level lifts service. Yeah. They're like, they know what's going on. He'll always find you a table. I don't know. I think if, when you're looking for that extra thing in a restaurant, I think when the owner's there, you can tell. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I was there with a guy called Matt Carver and he yeah. owns the cheese bar. He's got pick and oh, cheese cool. at Seven Dials and stuff like that. And, you know, I, when I interviewed him, he was like, I, would, I aspire to be like Russell Norman kind of thing. So, and, and I think it's those things. And the one thing in which you hit on, it's like that restaurant transports you. And yeah. you go in there and you were like, I am not in London anymore. And I think and that's what's... No, that's it's very, I love it. No, yeah. it is, is really accessible. It's so really accessible. I just love it. So I'm sure you have to go for many meals with many people. And yeah. I'm sure there are lots of things in which you always are trying to break bread and gain knowledge and conversation and things like that. But is there anyone in particular that maybe is not in your like world in which you'd be like, God, I'd really love to be able to sit down and just pick their brain over a couple it's of things. It's funny because it's not normally a foodie. I think most people would pick like chefs. I'm actually not a foodie. I didn't build this. Like the reason I didn't want it to be a foodie app is I love the experience. I really care about walking in and feeling something. So it's never like, I'm very big on like where I want to be. Like, it's going to sound awful because I, because Facebook's so hated, but like, if I could sit with Zuckerberg, he's been, and as bad as it is, like, he's still a hero to me. He's still built an incredibly huge businesses, and like, God knows what he's actually like, but hero of mine. I'd love to sit with Bob Iger, um, the, the CEO of Disney. Like, read his book, I mean, firstly, genius title, it's called Ride of a Lifetime. Um, <laughs> it's great. great. It's great. Um, but the, I mean, it was just really, really written well, and the lessons, as a CEO, I think that he, not only brings about through the book, like to sit with him, I think would be really empowering to learn from. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone else that like, those two always spring to mind for me, one as a CEO, just one as a hero of like tech. Um, Whitney Wolfhard, only one female founder in tech, but actually because there's, people bring, a, bring up a lot of the time that there's a big crossover between one's in and dating. Because so if you need to, if you, as soon as you find a date, you, you need a place to eat. So it's actually on my radar, so I think that's probably why it's in my head, to have a conversation with Bumble about how we can link the two in a very smart way, because there, there, it just makes so much sense, but it needs to be done cleverly. Um, and also she's just a hero in what she's done as well. I think she went and built the business and she did it. Um, so they're probably my top three. I don't think of anyone else. I actually think... I. Love that. And the dating thing, it's like, I didn't think about it until you've just said it. And I'm just like, oh my God, one zone is the best place. Like just to be able I, to like look great in front of like everyone, just I'm to be able to be. That. So yeah. every, this is going to sound really, again, like boy girl divide, but like every guy I speak to, he speaks to me out there. They're like, it's transformed my dating life. And I'm like, they're like the rooftop list, the date night list, the first date drinks list. No girl has ever said that to me. They're like, I love the app. It's really easy. Like I like saving my places. Every single time I speak to a guy, they're like, Dating, it's great. Smashed it. They're like, I used to take the girls to the same place every single time. And I'm just like, oh. It gives you such an insight into like the dating. Even my brother recently, again, he was like, I'll just go back to Kaya. I'm like, don't go to the same place and take different girls to the same place. He's like, yeah, but I know it's going to be good. Yeah. I'm like, but everywhere's going to be good. Yeah. So it is a really funny space. But yeah, like there's an immediate connection, just how we do it. Um, Guys don't change that formula until they go there with a new date. 
and they see an o a date in which they've also they taken <laughs> that's when that mantra changes i feel but yeah no it is a it's a really funny it's a good one yeah no i think i think who would you go and sit with do you know what it's a really good question i've been asking it to so many people and I've always been coming back. One book that I continually read is Let My People Go Surfing, the guy who started Patagonia. Patagonia yeah. Yeah. And I've like, seen a thing about him recently. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I've not completely like read how it's completely broken down right. and all of the share structures and how is it all going and stuff yeah. like that. But I think that one of the top lines when I got into a little bit was like 100 million per year to like funds and trusts in which they believe are going to be able to shape things. And I'm like, that's an incredible journey to have been on. And just like the whole thing of like, you know, the reluctant CEO and just like all of the things in which were implemented within that organization, I think are absolutely phenomenal. Um, mm. And I think it is really aspirational to be able to maybe, you know, I think one of the quotes was like, change the mindset of capitalism and think about it in a different way. I think there's this thing called, um, if you'd like that, have you read about... The Grameen Bank, uh, I can't remember oh. what his name is, essentially, Mike, I have to think about it, micro lending to the poor, he essentially, I can't remember the guy's name at the moment, he wrote the book, he essentially set up the Grameen Bank, which allows micro lending to poor people because bigger banks won't do it. Um, and again, just a similar thing, he talks about social consciousness and social capitalism, which I really like, i.e., there should be an element of investing in businesses, not purely as an investor to make money back for yourself, but to do some form of good as well. And I I think that's really interesting. Like if I had a fund, it would be really cool to invest not only in people and their ideas, but to have some of that should be doing something for social good. And I think the next generation will really respond to that as well. It's probably why stuff like Patagonia does so well, because mm. it's tapping into that next generation who care about environmentalism and everything else that goes along with it. Completely. Um, and sustainability. It's why our sustainability lists do well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's... He's probably a good person to sit with. And I think what's fascinating as well, it's actually when you can see that it's so pure. And it's, you know, mm. I think it's when older brands now, which you look at, I think one of my friends always said that it's like when it's, um, I don't know, you know when it's like uh, people change their social media handles to maybe the rainbow, all of those kind of things, and it's like actually like why have you? Like, it's just so it just feels so unreal and not really actually pure from the values in which you're trying to go for. Yeah. Whereas like actually when you see someone like that that's actually just spoken through the whole time, and it's just like really quite beautiful. I think you have to be true to you. Yeah. I think one's own at the very least is me through and through as much as I could try and separate it. Like I think companies found them, form themselves after their founders. I care a lot about design. One's own is very design led. I care a lot about my brand. Like I think that's where you have to, so I, it's like my team. I know that you can hire for skill and I try to, but I hire a lot on culture because I spend all my time with people and I want to love my team and I want them to love it. And that to me, that loyalty and honesty is more important to me than maybe having the best person in the world at what they do. So I think that that's why Patagonia has done. I'm sure, like that's built around him. Yeah, completely. And then completely. You'll, you'll see what I mean. Yeah, not that Zuckerberg's a hero, but like you know. No, I think there's he is. reasons for why the company probably has shaped the way it is. I yeah. don't know, but yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about founders for their companies. Yeah. I think it will be very fascinating with the whole meta journey now. Obviously, the share price completely and utterly dropped, and now obviously they're completely remodeling, transforming, and mm. hopefully maybe, I think in their mind going to transform the world again. Um, but even just, I think the thing is, it's like not about sitting with him. It's, it's almost sitting with him as like a business owner. Having gone through all of that, mm. that's huge learning lessons. Yeah. yeah. Like, what a guy. Completely. Um, Natasha, thank you so much indeed for today. It's been a real, real pleasure to sit with you and hopefully um, it's going to be insightful for lots of other people and it will get some so. people to the app as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please, God. Um, thank you. Do you know what we could do? I don't know. Is that anyone who signs up and has watched this, we can give them premium access for free.
Love that. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's that fantastic. Cool. Yeah, really, really cool. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As promised, Natasha has offered premium membership to the OneZone app for three months to all listeners of the Service Please podcast. All you have to do is email info at onezone.app to claim your free premium membership. Also, if you could interact with this channel in any way in which you see fit, that could be by liking, reviewing, subscribing, or even commenting on the potential of future guests or topics that you'd like to get covered, that would be amazing. It will help amplify the voices of the hospitality and wider food community, enabling more people to understand the innovations and daily struggles of one of the most dynamic sectors, and of course, the tastiest. I'm Joshua Patterson, and this has been Service Please. Thank you.